Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website. That's carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcast on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that Apple, Spotify, Acast. And my guest today is Roisin McGuigan, who is a services manager here in Carmichael. And Roisin has particular responsibility for the whole governance support in Carmichael. And the topic we're going to talk about today is finding and onboarding the right board members. And um, Roisin has a lot of experience, practical experience in this area. So welcome, Roisin. You might introduce yourself and talk a little bit about the roles that you do here in Carmichael. Yeah, so I'm the services manager here which means I do lots of different things. So I run the Good Governance Awards, I run the Mentor Programme, I manage the relationships with all of our resident nonprofits that are based in our two buildings, and then, as I said, company secretarial support and board support. So I run our own recruitment drives for the board and then their onboarding process. Very good. As we say, we're going to talk about that whole process of trying to get find the right board member for your organisation and then the steps that are involved in that. So, okay, so we, we take the situation where you now have identified that you need to recruit one or two new board members. What's the first thing that you should do? So I think you want to nail down the timeline first. If you know that you need new board members by a certain AGM or because you have people retiring, you want to know when you need them and then work backwards from there to make sure you're starting to recruit at the right time and you're not starting to recruit so early in the process that you're going to know exactly who the right people are and then not have room for them on the board for the next six months. But then once you have that timeline all worked out, I'd say your first step on it is going to be identifying the profile of who you want that new person to be. So what skills do you need coming onto the board? It's very important to know the type of person that you want and to be able to then to focus your recruitment process in the, the needs of the organisation, needs of the board. So one tool that quite effective in doing this is a thing we call the the skills audit or a skills matrix. You might describe what that involves and how comprehensive does that need to be? Yes, you can kind of scale it up and down depending on the size of the organisation, the board, the maturity of the organisation as well. So you can bring in consultants to do one for you and they'll do a more in-depth one and give you a report at the end. You can equally do them yourselves if you're at that stage as an organisation. So you can do it through like a Google form or even just a paper version. You basically identify what the key skill sets on your board are there are going to be some that are common to all boards, so you're going to want non-profit governance, strategy, financial oversight, risk management on pretty much every non-profit board. But then there might be one specific to your organisation where you're saying, well, we need somebody who has experience with this particular health condition or in advocacy or in fundraising. So once you have that list of, I'd say, 10 to 15 skill sets, you want to see what the priorities are, what you have on the board, and then see what the gaps are. So looking at what you have got on the board, then what gaps and what the priorities of those gaps, because I think some trap people fall into is they throw the kitchen sink and they say, we want somebody that has all of these skills and that sort of can affect your search for success. Yeah, so you might be looking at more than one candidate and also you don't need to get one candidate per skill. You can have overlap. You can have somebody who has experience in strategy, but also finance. And then that means that you don't need to be recruiting for 15 people for 15 skill sets as well. And you can have a look at the priorities. Like for some boards, you will need a legal person on your board. For other boards, you might just outsource that service and have that as you know paid consultancy or a service you get rather than somebody who sits on your board. So it depends how often you need it. Sometimes I see people say when somebody's stepping off the board, they recruit a like-for-like replacement. 
What do you think about that? So in some cases it, it is appropriate. If you are, for example, losing your one and only finance person, you are going to need another finance person. But I think it is worth taking the opportunity whenever you have a vacancy on the board to see what the priorities are going to be. You might need somebody in digital transformation or you might need somebody more so in the area of equality, diversity and inclusion. So if you keep going like for like, you're not really going to be able to meet the challenges that come further down the line. And are you seeing new skills emerging that people a few years ago might have said we need somebody with these skills have you seen new skill areas coming up that people need to consider or think about whether it would be useful to have those on their board yeah i definitely think digital transformation cyber security and then edi are all becoming quite hot topics and then one of the ways you can tackle that is either recruiting people with that expertise or there's also a lot of like micro credentials you can do at the moment so you could choose to upskill existing board members again so you're having one candidate who's doubling up on skill sets rather than needing this massive board to have all the skill sets that you need that's a, a very good point about looking at your own existing board because it's important that they continue to upgrade their skills on an ongoing basis that even if you don't have any vacancy that the board are equipped to take on the task of governance what are the common pitfalls that you see boards might make or sort of the classic sort of mistakes that people do when they start this recruitment process So I would say don't start the process until you've defined the process. You don't want to be advertising, but not knowing who's going to be doing the interviews, how many rounds of interviews, when they're going to take place. So you need to know what your recruitment process is going to be like, who's going to be involved. They need to know that they're going to be involved so they're not on holidays in the month that you think they're doing interviews. And then making that really clear in the advertisement from the very beginning so that people know if they're being asked back for a second interview It's not that you're suddenly having doubts that was always part of the process. I think being really clear from the beginning is a pitfall that I see because you can lose really good candidates who were interested because you weren't quick enough off the mark or they're interpreting all these added layers as, you know, a bit of faff because it wasn't outlined right at the beginning. Yeah, I would agree. I see that for me is sometimes the inertia that happens when you've you've put up your ad and then you say, well, let them come to me. And then when you do get inquiries that there isn't a follow up. So that's a critical thing to have a clear focus of what the plan is, what the timelines and who's to do what and when. Because the worst thing, if I'm interested in going on the board and I make an inquiry and I don't hear anything in a number of weeks and I said, is this the board for me? Is this the type of organisation that I want? So again, that, that first impression might not be a good one if you're not focused on that. So specifically, what sort of things, if you were advising a charity or non-profit, say they're about to do a recruitment, what things do you think they should have in place to start the process? Yeah, so you want your role spec and you want that very clear. You want to know where you're advertising so you don't come to the very end and then you have a board member pipe up, oh, did you ask such and such? Because I really wouldn't want to go ahead until we know we've asked that particular professional body or advertised in that particular place. So again, defining that process and knowing who's going to be on the panels, knowing that you have a really strong story and you've outlined, you know, I think the three parts of that role spec need to be what you want from them but also how they can contribute once they're on the board so what's the direction you see that organization going in what's their strategy what's their most recent annual report so that someone can be really enthusiastic about joining the board and know that they're not just going to be sitting there and rubber stamping that they're actually being sought out for a particular skill set for a particular strategy going forwards one of the things i hear boards say our governance isn't up to scratch will that put people off for looking to get board members on in a case like that where they, they recognise that there are problems, how should they go about approaching the sort of task of recruiting board members? Yeah, I think there's a couple of different ways of doing it. So I've seen it right at the very beginning, particularly when somebody doesn't have charity status yet. And you're saying, I'm, I'm going to really struggle to get somebody who has a lot of experience as a board member to join the board of somewhere that is quite far off having all those documents in place. You might then look at having an advisory board so that you're getting the expertise, but you're not asking them to be legally accountable for your organisation just 
just yet. And then other ways you can do it is by being quite honest. So like I've recently joined a board and they were very honest about where they were at in their governance journey and where they wanted to get to. And I saw that I could add value there. And I knew that I didn't want to be joining a board that was more mature in terms of their governance because I didn't think I'd be able to add as much value. So I think... You don't want someone to come in the door and then go, surprise, we actually need to do all these things. and We've kind of led you to believe otherwise, because that's going to be a recipe for disaster. Absolutely. I think this honesty is very critical. And I have heard cases of just as you described, where people have gone through the process and arrived in the first meeting and suddenly realizes one or two major governance crisis and some very serious crisis that could impact the reputation of those on the board. So again, I think being upfront is very, very important and you know, recognize that there are challenges in getting their governance right. And part of the process, if you can recruit board members to help you with that task, would be upfront and be clear about this is the type of situation you're going into and this is what our commitment to make those changes that we think are necessary. And that can be really exciting for a new board member as well. Again, it's you're showing where they can add value and you're showing exactly what you want them to contribute to the organisation because you're saying we are here and we want to get to there. We want to comply with the governance code or we want to get our charity registration status. And that's really tangible rather than saying, can you come onto this board or you're feeling like for like someone who was already here and we want to just maintain what we already had. In terms of getting yourself organised for the process, who should run the recruitment process or what's your thoughts on that? So I suppose what we've found works well in our case because we're a non-profit that has staff. I, as a staff member, coordinate the process, but I don't make the decision. So I don't pick who's going to be interviewed. I don't interview them and I don't pick who we ask to come onto the board. But I have responsibility for the timeline because, you know, in a non-profit, all the board members are themselves volunteers. It's not really reasonable to ask them to be watching their application like a hawk, coming back to people the day that they apply and acknowledging their application. But if you can do that, that's great. So... I think it's reasonable to delegate those kind of things to a staff member as long as it's really clear what has been delegated to them and that they're not making decisions. They're just keeping you to that timeline. But it can be done by board members as well. It just it needs to be acknowledged that there is a time commitment there and that's why it's important to have that timeline set out ahead of time rather than things will just slowly roll on. As you say, it can be done by the board. It may set up a special task group to oversee it or maybe one of the existing board committees take lead on it. But the critical thing is that it is managed. Yeah, and like some larger boards would have a nominations committee and that's one of their big roles is looking at succession planning, who they need to bring in and they might manage that process themselves. So lots of different people can do it, but someone needs to do it. And particularly if it's a group and it's not too clear who in the group is in charge of saying, well, now hold on, folks, we're coming up to this deadline. That's where you find yourself slipping and losing really good candidates because they want to be on an efficient and communicative board. One of the things I hear, particularly from some of the smaller non-profits, is that they find it particularly hard to find people. So they may be in a rural part of the country or, or they may be in a particular niche area that may not be as, I would say, glamorous as some other, some other charitable purposes. What sort of things should they do to improve their chances? Because it, it will be a challenge. There's no point sort of saying it's not a challenge because it is. But what sort of things can they do to improve their, their prospects of recruiting the right board member for their organisation? Yes, I think there's two elements to that. One is the information that you're putting out there in the ad itself. So again, being clear on the role spec and not being overly restrictive yourself. You know, if you're outlining they need X number of years experience in X role, rather than looking at skill sets and competencies, you could be excluding really strong candidates from that role. And then also being clear about what the opportunities are. Are you offering training? Is there onboarding What's the experience like? Is it a particularly social board? Is it a more formal or informal culture? Just indicating all of those things can attract slightly different types of candidates. And then you're looking at where you're advertising. So 
for the nonprofit sector in general, Active Link and Board Match are two really good places to go looking for board members. And then if you're looking at a specific skill set, so say if you're looking for somebody with a legal background, there are professional bodies and there are membership bodies that you might reach out to to try to reach their members, similarly with finance. And then lastly, you're looking at your own community. So you might know that there is like a particularly busy coffee shop or a community hall, like somewhere that you can just put up a physical poster or a local group that you can ask to reshare your Facebook post and then you're coming at it from a few different directions and you're giving yourself a slightly better chance. Just to me some things like community WhatsApp groups can be a great source. Talk to me a bit about board match because we use board match quite a lot and we've been very successful. Just yeah. for some that might not be familiar with the board match process, what, what, how does that work? So now I don't know if board match will appreciate me saying this. I tend to describe it as the Tinder of charities. Um, so as a potential board member, you go on, you make your profile. So you would give a rough outline of your own CV and what areas you're interested in. So you might be interested in particular geographical areas. You might be saying, I only want to join a board that's in Dublin or I only want to join a board that's completely remote. I don't want to be coming into meetings. Or you might be saying, I'm really interested in arts or mental health. Or you might say, I'm open to absolutely anything. And then as an organisation, you put up your vacancy. So again, you want to have that detail there on what's expected, what's the time commitment. And look at the other applications that are up there. If there are ones in a similar area to you, either in geography or in terms of like area of the nonprofit world, that have a lot more detail or they're telling a stronger story, consider adapting what you've put up there and making that stronger case for why they'd want to join your board as opposed to all the other boards that are advertising there and then as an organization you can flick through all the different candidates that have profiles up there you can filter them by skill set or by area and you can reach out to them proactively but also candidates can flick through the opportunities and they can apply through board match to you so we've found that has worked really well and it's a nice way to get outside of your own bubble of just reaching the network of your existing board members or existing staff members because you do want to get people who are coming in with a fresh view and aren't connected to the rest of the board. Another thing when you're looking at recruiting the boards, because one of the criticisms and it stands up with statistics is that there's a sort of sameness around a lot of the boards. So the sort of pale male and stale is, is a quite a common term that's applied to a lot of boards. What sort of things, what considerations should organisations go through if they're thinking, we want a more diverse board? What are the things that should they bring into when they're looking at their role profiles that they might have filled in, in wearing a diversity lens? Yeah, so I think there's a spectrum and on one extreme there is thinking, what I think can happen sometimes is that gender is the only type of diversity and then a board will come to a point where they have gender balance and they go, that's perfect, we have done diversity. And then at the other extreme, you have boards that are so hyper aware of all the different types of diversity that you freeze and you have no idea what to prioritise and so you do nothing at all. Whereas I would say a handy way to prioritise things can be to look at the demographics of your own client group. So if you are involved in the area of disability services, you would want to prioritise making sure there's representation on your board from people with disabilities. And that would be a higher priority for your board than it might be for another. Now, all kinds of diversity will become priorities for boards over time, but you can't prioritise everything at once and you don't want to get rabbit in the headlights doing nothing at all. You're an example of somebody from the younger demographic that going down the board. Were there any particular barriers you encountered in terms of um, being sub-30 going for a board position or did you feel that that was a disadvantage or were people embracing that here's somebody that has a very strong skill set but is also quite a young, fresh in terms of their approach to governance? 
I suppose there's a couple of things. Credit where credit is due. I had applied to the programme that Board Match and the Wheel have set up in terms of getting people who might not consider themselves to be the usual board members to a point where they can be board members. And I applied for that and then I thought, but you know what, I've never applied for a board role. It's not like I've been rejected. I haven't tried. So I applied for that and then the next day applied for a board role and got it. So I had to send a rather sheepish email saying, sorry, I had signed up for this, but I actually hadn't tried at all. So there are certain things that can be great programs to give you that sense of like, oh no, it actually could be me. There's no reason why it has to be that profile that you think of, you know, pale male and stale, as they say. But I did go looking specifically for an organisation that had a younger board. I didn't want to be the only woman, the only young person, the only young woman. I wanted to have a board that was clearly already prioritising that. And I really got that sense when I was being interviewed as well that I was going to be valued for my skill set. And it wasn't being seen as, you know, a charity case over going to train you up so that one day you can contribute as much as the rest. So I think having that link there on your ad as well so people can click through and see what your existing board looks like can help. And making sure that you're prioritising recruiting more than one person rather than this is our one representative of all women or all young people. I think that's very important because I do get people coming to me saying I'm interested in going on the board and I'd say well one golden rule I would for anybody that's going on the board is that you need to have some connection to some something that connects with you with the nature of the organisation the people that you're encountering a part of the process and if you don't get that maybe it's not the right board for you and put yourself forward and don't don't be afraid to do it and it's great with the board match programme is there to encourage people that may not consider them as a normal board candidates that they go through a programme but there's lots of very very talented people out there that would be great additions to the boards of non-profits so just have a look yeah and it's something for boards I think to be very clear about as well if you're putting down that you want someone with board experience on your board you have to be aware that you're excluding people there whereas if you take a slightly different approach of we're looking for these skill sets we're going to specify that board experience isn't necessary and we're also going to specify we have onboarding training we have training available on the charity's governance code because they can seem really daunting if you haven't been involved in charity before that can be seen as a real barrier Whereas you can be clear as an organisation, we're looking for you for these skill sets and we're going to upskill you on the others so that you can contribute just as much. Very, very important because I do emphasize is again, it's a, it, is a, it is a sales campaign yeah. on behalf. You're recruiting somebody. So I say related to if you're recruiting your new CEO and think of the, the, the effort and the planning and the execution that we go through to try and get the right CEO. It is equally important to get, to get the right board member. So, okay, in our scenario here, you, we've gone through all those processes. We've got our role specs. We've got, had prioritised of our profile. And we have been very successful in our campaign to try and attract interest. Um, and we have a number of candidates. How should you go through that whole screening and interview process? What sort of things should you think about here? So ideally, you'll have known before you advertised how you're going to be screening and how you're going to be advertising. And you'll have been very clear in that ad what you're looking for. So you might have said, please address in a cover letter your experience of X, Y and Z so that you don't end up missing out on candidates who had the experience but didn't know that you wanted them to mention that particularly in their application. So it does depend who's running it. In my case, I'm given parameters and then I can kind of tell who's likely to be on the long list, who's not likely to be on the long list. And I send that full list to the panel who are made up of board members who are going to be doing the interviews. So I kind of suggest these people look like they might not be quite at the standard that you're looking for. You might want to interview some of these people and then they make the final decision on who to interview. And then similarly, you want to know what you are looking to get out of an interview before you go into it so you don't end up having just kind of an aimless chat. 
So those criteria are very important. So we'll come back to the very first step of being clear about who you want and why the skill sets that will help the screening because you're looking at well, okay, which ones have addressed the sort of the, the in terms of they're making their cover letter or in the application that match the skill sets. So it helps to rule in and rule out people. So, so it's like like a, a like a, a normal job recruitment process. But again, as you say, being prepared and um, that the it, those on the interview panel are prepared in, as if the basics you know when this is going to happen when they have to make themselves available because they're as you said board members are, are can be often in full-time employment so it's, it's freeing that time up to be able to do that is, is important yeah and I think agreeing that early on in the process is really helpful rather than waiting until you have your shortlist and then saying right when is everyone free to interview at that point you're going to struggle to find board members being free to interview within the next couple of weeks you're going to find that the candidates also aren't free whereas if you've decided that way back at the beginning when you also knew your deadline for applications and you've given yourself say a week in between to decide who the shortlist is you're laughing you've got the time set aside and all the candidates saw in the application set aside that evening that's when the interviews will be right so we're coming to the tail end of our finding the right board member process now we've gone through all the different steps we're now at the stage where we have identified and agreed and that person has agreed to come on board what sort of things should you think about or should have you in place in place in terms of the whole induction and onboarding the new board members yeah so there's a couple of different elements to it for me the first step is usually that letter of appointment and making sure that that's been signed and returned and I can take that as okay they have been accepted by the board they have been offered the position they have accepted the position now I can share with them all of the documentation and start that process so letter of appointment first then I would do the forms to do with your B10 and getting on the charities regulator portal and then in a second phase I do those documents to do with the annual report and the organizational chart but I think it's important when you're sending over that pack of documents that you don't just dump a mountain of paperwork leave them to it and start saying things like I assume you've read all this without giving them any opportunity to ask questions or to engage because it's difficult to learn anything when there's nowhere to apply it just yet so what we tend to do is we send over that documentation but then we also have two sessions with yourself as CEO so one on the organization itself and its strategy and then another one on board roles and what's expected of our own board members separately they'd have a meeting with the chair that's got kind of less of an agenda it's more of an informal meeting just to get to know the chair and we also give them a board buddy so someone who has been on the board a little bit longer and is just that more informal point of contact rather than the chair or the CEO that they can say, Do you know what, I actually didn't understand that conversation or I wasn't given enough context there. So I think having that series of meetings is um, really helpful. And one thing I would also add, particularly when you're bringing on a new board member, that they need to get a feel for what the organisation is about. So introducing them to staff, introducing them to services, so they get a, a much richer understanding of why we exist as, a, as an organisation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think signposting that that is coming down the line. You want to walk the line between here is everything they need to know and them knowing that they will get all the information they need versus, again, dumping them in with a big pile of information for meetings in a week and again they're working full time so if you're able to say look you know in the first month you're going to meet the CEO and the chair in the second month you're going to have a board buddy in the third month we're going to invite you into the offices or to see some of our services then they can kind of see that it's all under control and they're not being forgotten about. I think that's important it is it isn't a one-off it's a series of induction events to help the new board member to understand the organization but also understand their role and responsibilities because there are significant commitments as a board trustee or a board member okay that's been great and I hope it will be helpful for a lot of people who are in that process that will be recruiting new board members soon just as a final question Roisin what type of resources are available say from Carmichael or elsewhere that might be of use to people so that they end up with that 
right board member that has the right match skills and um, characteristics that they want on their board. So we have a few different resources for the different angles involved. As the organisation, we have an e-learning module and a scheduled training module on board induction. So if you want to kind of save yourself that session with your CEO or your chair, or whoever, going through what the board roles are and how the Charities Act and Companies Act would relate to that, you could send them on the Carmichael session. Then we have the checklist for new board members, which could be helpful for your company secretary or whoever is running that process of making sure you get all the paperwork done and you've sent them all the relevant files and you've set up the meetings and then we also have a training needs assessment just a template there which I think can be helpful for new and continuing board members to flag up here are the core areas that we think you all need to be competent in so is anyone you know maybe lacking there and wants to get a little bit more support so some very useful resources thank you very much Roisin thanks David thank you for listening to our latest Carmichael Governance podcast we hope you enjoyed it if you did it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts so until the next time, Slán Gofol. Go